Hello, and welcome to Harder Than It Looks, Parking Uncovered, a podcast to facilitate connections and illuminate real solutions to common problems within the parking and mobility industry. I'm Brian Wolf, President and CEO of Parker Technology, and I'll be your host as we speak with parking professionals from across the industry at all levels to uncover tips, tricks, and best practices to manage what we all know is harder than it looks parking a car. On the show today is Peter Lang, Associate Vice President of Transportation Services at Texas A&M University College Station. Peter Lang is the Associate Vice President of Transportation Services at Texas A&M University College Station, one of the largest parking, transportation, and fleet operations of any college campus in the country. Peter's well-known and renowned in the parking industry, having served as past president of TPTA, past co-chair of the IPMI Technology Committee, and winner of over a half a dozen awards from IPMI, TPTA, and NPA. His organization is regularly praised for creating one of the most innovative university parking programs in the country, including being recognized as Parking Organization of the Year and Innovative Organization of the Year in 2009 and 2012, respectively. In today's show, we'll cover, among other things, balancing policy and community engagement, leading effectively in an ever-evolving workplace, and implementing new technology successfully. Peter, welcome to Harder Than It Looks. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. It is a, it's a real honor to, to have one of, one of the industry's best known individuals running parking on a very large college campus. And so what I hope we can get through today's conversation is real practical examples and strategies to help those that are listening better manage their parking, because as we all know, it's way harder than it looks. It is. And thank you for saying all that to the kind introduction, uh, especially without using the word old or veteran. So I appreciate it. <laughs> We all know that once, once you're in parking, it's really hard to get out. A, and so it's a bear trap. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and part of that is obviously the, the specialized knowledge and all of that. And so rather than retreading sort of your parking history, what I'd really like to hear is the convention that I use during interviews. And that is go back as far as you'd like, take a couple of minutes and walk us through where you started and how you got here in your own words. So that's a recounting of my poor life choices that, that got me where I am today. <laughs> sure. Sure. So just starting off in the space about 25, 28 years ago or so, I worked at the Atlanta Regional Commission in Atlanta, Georgia, the overarching planning organization for the 13 metro counties plus the non-attainment area that was there. And I worked uh, I actually was doing, doing IT stuff and, um, then, uh, started working for the commute options program, uh, that was under the umbrella agency, uh, called commute connections and, um, the, uh, actually worked with a couple of industry luminaries there as well. Brian Shaw was there oh, at the same Stanford time, guy. At Stanford guy at the same time. Yeah that I was. And uh, so we did cool stuff with ride matching and I handled the IT stuff, went out and found a new regional ride matching software for, for them, moved away from a mainframe kind of process. And, and the guys like Brian were these outreach people or planning people. And so they would 
go out to community and talk to big employers and we would do the ride match stuff. And then one of the guys that was there, his name was Kurt Newfang that did that outreach stuff. One of his customers was Georgia Tech and he was outreaching with Georgia Tech and the outreach so much that they offered him a job to come down and start up their first shuttle operations. And so that was in, oh, like 1999 or so. And once he got there, he started pinging on me, Hey, we need that same kind of stuff down here. We need that same kind of stuff down there. And so that was at the parking and transportation department at Georgia Tech and went down and interviewed and hit it off with the director at that time. Of course, I'd worked with Kurt for a number of years. I felt very comfortable. And in the period of about a month, they all left. And so I was there by myself. What am I getting into? And so this was all on the technology side and they needed, they needed processes and they needed software and they needed systems in place to be able to do stuff. They had some, but they weren't being managed very well. And so we went out and revamped all that and started headed down the web road of registration and those different things and got a new director and we get along really well. That's Rod Weiss and opportunity came up here at Texas A&M and Rod took a job out here in uh, like 2002 or so. And then he did the same kind of thing that Kirk did and started to ping on me. Hey, we need that same kind of stuff out here. Yeah. This place is huge uh, compared to, to any place, Ohio State's uh, University of Georgia or yeah. similar sizes, but it's just so darn big. Yep. It's hard to wrap your hands around sometimes. And uh, they uh, came out and interviewed and met the crew and said, Texas seems pretty cool. So I've been here a few days short of 20 years now. And I think I was probably an associate director when I got here and as the organization grew and I grew and when Rod retired and took over as department head and then have got a couple of promotions since then to rise that lofty associate vice president title. That, yeah, that's awesome. awesome. So give us a little sense for the size and scale of the operation that you're running. Yeah, that, that's the, one of the interesting things about this operation it just everything from the size of the, our operation transit, 96 buses, about a, a 125,000 hours of service, we run about a thousand hours of service every day. It takes, um, wow. um, about 275, 300 drivers to, to be able to do that. Uh, we do our own training, uh, our own testing. Um, we have a fleet. Uh, that we're responsible for uh, 600 vehicles uh, on the parking side. We have an inventory of over 36,000 parking spaces, uh, seven, seven structures, the student bodies, 70,000. Now there's 10,000 faculty and staff. We have another community college in town that has 10,000 students. And it's just a, it's just big stadium, 110,000 football games, basketball games, uh, another 12,000 seat arena, baseball with a 5,000 seat venue. It's just. Everything is just bigger and yeah. not just being bigger in Texas kind of thing, but we'll host a basketball game the same day that we have a three other events going on West campus right. and we have the inventory of, to be able to handle that. And people struggle a little bit handling a, a 5,000 seat arena and we'll have yeah. multiple events going on the same day or the same weekend on two sides of campus and, and not even know that one side's affecting the other at all. It, it, it's just amazing. And then it's a college town. It, I, I, it's maybe more like Bloomington from where you all are. I like sure. to Athens sometimes or Clemson or over yeah. under different college town come things like that, that it's just not Indianapolis, not Atlanta, not Houston, Austin, Dallas, just hand in tone. It is uh, a college town and, and, uh, 
we, uh, for example, on a game day with the population that's here for a game, uh, we become one of the largest downtowns in the state for Saturdays. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No interstates. No interstates. So a couple of things. So first I, I want to go back just a second to your, sort of your bio, your story. One of the things that I love about the story is that you got dragged along. So I, I talk a lot about when, when we're hiring folks, I'd prefer not to take a rifle shot when I'm hiring somebody. I want to see the work before I actually hire the work. And so when I ask people to tell me their stories, I'm listening for things like, hey, Rod called me up after I'd worked with him and he said, hey, we need what you do here. Or Joe called me up and, and dragged me along because now through a proxy, I know that someone else, whether, whether I know them or not, I know that you did great work and you got pulled along. And one of the tips and tricks that I always like to talk about is when you work with somebody, you trust them, you see their work and you drag them along. That's usually a pretty good sign that they're a great employee. Yeah. So clearly you were a great employee and you got dragged along. Or tricked one or the other. One or the other. <laughs> Maybe in the first case you got tricked because they all launched. Yeah, no, the, but the, they, second one, I, the second one I was pretty after. After four years at Georgia Tech, I, I, I had a pretty good idea what I was getting into and, and did it anyway. Yeah, that's fabulous. And then as you were talking about all of the operations, I wonder how you cope with the front line or the manpower to be able to manage so many people, the huge influx coming in and then the multiple events coming in. I have to imagine you have to swell your ranks and then shrink your ranks or how do you do that? No, that, that's a good question. So when we total number of people on our payroll, so that I didn't, the total department budget's about $50 million budget, parking transit and fleet. And we have yeah. about 500 people on payroll. There's a, a about 200 of those are, are budgeted. And then the rest of them are a combination of student workers and wage workers. And we. It, and that's pretty steady through the semesters, those numbers. And there's a big chunk of those that are the wage worker that, are, that we use for events in our special event group. And so we really tap into our cadre of student workers to, to do that surge. I mentioned transit has almost 300, 275, 300 drivers, and we're running just about everything on a game day. So it takes about a hundred drivers, but that still leaves me another 175 drivers that I don't need, don't need driving. And we tap in hard to that group for our game day operations. It takes game day operations, takes about a hundred lot attendants or cashiers. Some are not dealing with money at all. And some are just right. dealing with prepaid stuff and things like that. But we really tap into that, to that group. It takes a core wage workers that in order to provide that consistency and then filling in with the student workers. And that's really been one of our keys to success from a staffing perspective is to really tap into that student market. Now, with that said, uh, there are some challenges for, with getting folks to work. Um, and so we have really pushed on that, uh, special event wage, uh, in order to, to incentivize folks to work. And so we'll, uh, I think last year for football, we were at about 18 bucks an hour. We'll be at 20 bucks an hour this year, which in college station is. Uh, yeah, that's a real, pretty, yeah, that's pretty good. That's real mom. Um, yep. drivers, uh, when they start driving are at 1350. So even, and only about a third of them make that two thirds of them have 
gotten increases over time, but, um, so it, it, it's attention getting and, and it, it does help with those staffing issues on a, on a game day. It's a long day. It's far day. Uh, typically yes. the entire football <laughs> season's hot, except for the last two games, Texas hot. And, uh, yes. uh, so there are long challenging days, but th that's that our secret sauce uh, is that cadre of student workers to be able to make it happen. Yep. Okay. So wage is one thing, but culture and environment is another. And we all know that the millennial student population is challenging to motivate, right? They want purpose. They want to be a part of something bigger. And so you might just share with us how you get to that element of motivating these students to, to come to work and, and be effective. But you, you're, you're absolutely right in that. I think we are fortunate here at A&M. There, there is, there's a overarching sense of a belonging to the university. People that, that especially our wage workers that want to work for the university. And so that's part of it as well. But it, it's funny on the, from the student worker side, right? Cause that's where we need to pull our biggest group of people from. We, uh, the, the wages is, is a big part of that, but we, it, it's funny. There's a fair amount of apprehension about working on game days from what they have to do and who they have to deal with sure. and where they have to be. And if they have to handle money or if they're using handheld to redeem something or either in just not familiar in general, there used to be able to answer questions about what they're doing and now they don't and things like that. We have spent a lot of time uh, ahead of time through the recruiting process. We've got some videos and things like that. We'll talk about what they're doing on game day and that this, this face of the organization, the face of the university, they get to say howdy to everybody. They get this really cool reflective vest get <laughs> from a belly bag to, to chairs and canopies and breakfast, lunch, dinner, if the day goes on that long, snacks and sodas and coolers and supervisors and, and tons of touch points. Everybody's got a radio. You're not out there on your own. And, and we try to let them know that they're part of the first impression that somebody has right. of uh, coming to campus for a game day. And we get secret shopped. Athletics has a, a venue shopper every year. And we generally get really positive marks about those interactions. We, we run uh, our, even though it might be a 12th man, that's our foundation donor athletic lot stuff. And they take about 10,000 spaces on game day, but we manage all that stuff for them. Our, uh, we're the attendants that are out there and so we're encourage everybody to wear maroon underneath their high-vis vests or their hat or whatever they want to, what they want to do. And so that they are, you know, get into it with the, with their greetings and their smiling faces and things like that. And so it, it, it's all those things that kind of layer upon one another to convince somebody to work on yep. seven Saturdays a year. Yeah. So I heard a couple of things that I think really stuck out. So the first is sharing with them what to expect. I know that's a, that was, that's been a big thing for my kids, like the, the ability to what's coming next, what there's anxiety about, what am I going to see? What am I going to encounter? And then it's not leaving them on an Island. So they, they know that they're supported. I think that's a big thing. I would imagine for you at the top, pushing that kind of esprit de corps to your leaders who then have to push it down into the organization is probably a big focus of yours. And then ultimately all of the, Hey, we're going to feed you. We're going to pay you. We're going to feed you. And you're going to be part of something bigger than, than just parking a car. Yeah. Right. No, absolutely. And then, then there's a, 
large supervisory structure that's out there too. So it's not just we're, gosh, 20, we're probably selling 20 with the RBs and stuff, 25, 30, 28,000 spaces or something like that we'll probably utilize on a game day. And, yeah. and so we takes a big, big campus left, right, hard to get back and forth. And so carve up the campus with different supervisory sections and things like that. So it's not see a supervisor in the morning when you check in and we'll see somebody in, in six hours, the supervisors are out there uh, in their vehicles, yeah. making constant loops and floaters to be able to get breaks and all those things. But, yeah. and so those are all those things that we do, but you do have to explain what those things are and take away that anxiety is probably a pretty, pretty good word with that's one of the, we've done some focus groups talking to our students about what do we, what can we do to help incentivize you? And it really never, it never, those conversations didn't come back to money as much as you thought. They came back to the, uh, what am I going to do and how do I do it? And never done this before. And how do I know I do it? And, and what's for lunch. So it's moving on, but riffing off of a couple of different things that you said back when I started in parking seven years ago, I was like every other person who had no idea how hard it was to park a car. You, e even during your explanation, you touched on at least three or four different constituents. And so one of the things that I think makes, that makes universities really unique and really tough is you have students, you have staff, you have donors, the 12th man for you. And then you've got all of these visitors who all they're trying to do is park the car and get to the football field. So the question is, how do you manage that complexity? What, what is... What's the secret sauce around being able to figure out how to serve each of those folks? Because I know you talked about the balance of policy and then community engagement. Right. So have you found a, a, a mix that works, you think? I, don't, I, I like to think so, but at a university campus, when you have 70,000 students and 10,000 faculty staff, you've got 80,000 parking experts. So you've, you do have to stay home. But I think that we've done a, you're coming back to football, which is which kind of everything then becomes a subset of football, because if we can yeah. figure out how to do football, then a basketball game or a baseball game or a, a concert or a festival or whatever, uh, even a, a disaster is easy, um, because we're working with all those campus partners to be able to pull all those things off. And I think when we came up with the current kind of plan that we're running, which is about 10 years old now, 12 years old, uh, when we came into the SEC. There, we had some issues uh, related to entry and egress uh, on campus. There's some, we, we don't have an interstate. Um, we're dealing with uh, city roads around. We did a pretty good job of getting people out of the lots and then, then things would stop. We weren't pushing them through the city very well. And so we partnered with TTI, Texas A&M Transportation Institute, Tim Lomax, uh, Dr. Tim Lomax, and put together a, a really comprehensive plan that really focused on the piece that we're missing, which was that community engagement piece, because we are going to, we need to do some very different things in the community. We needed to close some things. We needed to change signal timing. We needed to have contra lanes on roads that weren't set up to have contra lanes. And we needed to close exits the, or routes or things like that weren't normally closed in order to be able to flush campus and push people out as far and as quickly as they wanted to go. We are in that Texas triangle. Dallas and Houston and San Antonio and Austin. And so we're right in the middle and we got to scatter people back to those, uh, right. three points of the triangle and the, the play in the roots of that engagement on the community side was we, uh, if you give us a couple hours, 
and, and let us do some semi-crazy stuff, then we'll get everybody out of here and then give you the town back. And anyone that wants to stay can stay, but anyone that wants to go, we're going to help facilitate their rapid exit. Um, you know, we carry, we run a lot of transit on game days, both on campus and from off campus. We'll carry 20, over 30,000 rides on a game day to and from the game. And then parking 28, 28, 29,000 parking spaces that we're using. We'll have hundreds of RVs, what that number is, 500 RVs or something like that. And uh, they take up a lot of room, by the way. So that, that's <laughs> <laughs> so they pay dearly, I'm guessing. They, they pay a little bit more. They do pay a little bit. Yeah. But there was that kind of push to the community that we need to do something different. And so we, there was a yeah. lot of engagement around, around that with the plan. We had a lot of buy-in from the university, from the system, from athletics, from the, and from the donor side, from inside of things and worked to endorse the plan and with a goal to making that game day experience even better. And cause you just want, you don't want people leaving the stadium early because they want to beat the traffic. You want to be yeah. able to, to handle that flush. And so that there's not a, you don't want to set up a, an environment that says it's, I'd rather sit home on the couch and, and watch this. You want to, they're going to do everything that they can inside the stadium to provide a, an awesome atmosphere atmosphere, put a great team on the field and all the pump and circumstance that goes around with game day and agony and, and, but our part of that's getting them in and get them out. And we yep. own the entirety of that, our relationship. It's us. We own that relationship with the city. We own that relationship with tech stop, city of Bryan, city college station, uh, all the on-campus traffic direction, all the coordination with the city signal timings, with the officers, city officers in the intersections that we own all of that. Uh, we pay for some of that to the city as well. We own all the on-campus traffic control and we coordinate with the cities with their traffic control, pay for some of that as well. And, and so that was that piece that was missing from the old plan to the new yeah. plan was that, that high level engagement with our campus partners and our community partners. And then not just the people pulling it off, but that community message of, Hey, let's do some crazy stuff. You can't go right. Everybody's going that way. A uh, couple yep. hours, we'll give it back to you as absolutely soon as possible. We won't keep it in place. We'll actively manage this. We're going to watch it. We have cameras everywhere. We're tapped into the city cameras. We're putting up our cameras. We've got cameras high, low down everywhere to see what's going on. And we're actively running this. Um, and then, so that's, that's what it is. We, we've done a couple of Thursday football games on a fan. Didn't like it, <laughs> but we're able, to, yeah. we're able to pull it all off with that same message and that same Maybe the first time we pulled it off too well, cause we ended up doing two years in a row and was like, mm, should have messed that up a little bit more, but, and we didn't cancel class and, and we're able to have that football game, but it came back to that group of partners and the buy-in to the buy-in, the plan, the comprehensive nature of the plan, the buy-in that was there. Yep. So again, I heard a couple of really important things. Obviously you've spent a lot of time communicating, but obviously you built the plan, but then you communicated the heck out of it. I've seen over and over again, great parking operations spend an inordinate and inordinate amount of time communicating the plan and getting buy-in. Sometimes it works better than others, but you clearly did that. And then as a sort of a transition, you've also clearly deployed a lot of technology to help you with eyes in the sky and all of that. And I wonder one of the other big bullet points, and now I understand from your background, how you s see the world from an IT perspective, but you're a bit rare in that 
IT has a reputation for being less friendly or less engaging. You certainly have that side of it too, which is probably a testament to why you've gotten to where you are. But what is, tell us about your philosophy around the technology and how to use the technology, how to choose technology. And then the, the hardest part sometimes is about timing. When do you put it in? Why are you putting it in? And then balancing cost with the opportunity to get it wrong. Sure. And remember, I confess that I couldn't get a, a microphone to hook up to my laptop. So my <laughs> skills in the area have waned over the last 20, 20 plus years. But I think that, I think the philosophically, it's important to kind of, I keep my toes in it enough. So either from a reading perspective or a, a non-party technical stuff that I might read, the, just the break room conversations with the IT guys about what's going on. Obviously the, from a budget perspective there, it's significant. We own, obviously we have a great campus infrastructure, but we are responsible for our, our switches and routers and electronics that are, that tie the whole thing together. hundred lanes of equipment, 500 cameras, uh, everything is on the network. Every intercom's on the network, every gate's on the network, every card reader, credit card, it, it's all in the network. Uh, every handheld, uh, everything is, everything's connected. And so we're. We have a big infrastructure behind that. So that you can't avoid the IT guys because it's always, hey, we need to upgrade this or where's the money for that. So we do have yeah. a lot of conversations that are around that. And I think the other thing too, is that over the years, we, we maybe to a fault, but because of where we are, the closest city is Houston, it's 90 minutes away. We've had a pretty long history of being self-reliant because vendors are we're so far away, this would be more on the equipment side of things than on sure. a, yeah. a, a network infrastructure or anything like that, but from a coach perspective. And so we've been pretty self-reliant. And so I do have a big IT staff and I do have a, a big coach group as well to support the gates, the intercoms and the cameras and pay stations and everything that's out there. Um, but I do see, we do see, we move more and more of our applications to the cloud. We've tried to standardize some of our homegrown things and to make sure that we're, we're looking for things that are off the shelf. We were, we were one of T2's larger customers and, uh, we were one of the biggest at the time that had not moved from a hosted to, from self-hosted to their hosted environment and, and did that a few years ago and, and pretty darn big lift and shift and pushed, pushed them hard too, because we had some sort of non-negotiables and things that we had done that we were not going to undo. We just could not lose some functionality that we had. And, and so we had a lot of, you know, big conversations around, could we move something to the cloud that was near your cloud that uh, could facilitate doing things in a different way. And so, um, they've been a great partner for, uh, of ours for years. And we had those conversations and were able to get there and, and get everything up in their hosted environment. But generally speaking, I was in on those conversations, right? It's, I don't know all right. the, necessarily the bits and bites of those things, but I know enough to be really dangerous at this point. Yeah. <laughs> when somebody says we can't do something, then, then I really want to dig, dig into why we can't do that. And typically it's not a technological thing. It's more of a, either a policy or a philosophy or it's right. hard or right. it might be expensive. That's not a good thing to tell me. <laughs> That's not a good thing. Cost a little bit more. That's not a, that's not a reason not to try to go in a, to go in a direction. Right. And I think that 
keeping my toes in it enough to be able to, to push back and ask those questions and, and not accept necessarily no for an answer. But, and the other, the other part of that is just keep it really plugged in with the industry, right? So from right. going to IPMI to PTA or CPTA and the conferences and networking and watching the listservs and things like that to talking to our vendors to know what's going on out there, what other people are doing. And when somebody says, we can't do that, I say, hey, but Arizona State's doing that. Why can't we do it? And I don't know anything about what they're doing or how they're doing it. But I know they're doing it. So let's doing it. So let's go and find out and let's have a conversation around what's working or what's not working. And let's try to push it. We're not afraid to push the industry. We're not afraid to push on our vendors. We're not afraid to write an RFP that uh, tries to move the needle uh, for things. Those can jump around a lot on different things. And yeah. your question had six six things in there. Bring me it back. Did have bring, bring me back to a couple more of them. Yeah, no, that's one of the things I have probably get better at. <laughs> Give you one thing to focus on. For me, it's, so you touched on a couple of different things. What I heard was connect everything. So make, get set up equipment that you can touch through the network. You obviously, you own your network, which is interesting because that's probably pretty unique in a university setting. My experience is I'm struggling with a couple of prospects right now where the university owns the network and it's tough and I get it. I get it. But then the other thing that, the other aspect that I think is really important is the timing. So when do you decide to go to the, to take the next leap? Like what is, because being too early is hard and pushing vendors is one thing, but if you get them outside, too far outside of what they're doing, you, you risk be, reading, being on the bleeding edge, but really. Let me use maybe our pre-par, our prepaid parking journey is a little bit of a, as an example or case study or story about what we're working on. And so. We've been doing pre prepaid parking for a number of years. We've had a couple of vendors through the, through the, through the process, uh, Perk Mobile's our, our vendor now, and it's working well. And the interesting thing here is that the only time we have an event that demand outstrips supply is football. Everything else, we have plenty of room, right? So that I need a place to park. How do I know I'm going to have a place to park? The only time, the only event that happens is, is football. football. Now with the other events, we can stratify and maybe get closer or some different things like that, but we're never going to run out. It's just never going to happen. That journey toward prepay really focused on football. And so we like moving that credit card transaction off of us into, yep. into somebody else's realm. Getting away from cash. Getting away from cash. The Obviously with prepay, it's the gift card of parking, the redemption's not hundred percent. Right. Cool. And, uh, <laughs> but when you, you don't have this supply demand issue with smaller events, then it's hard to push people there because they know they can just drive up and pay five or 10 bucks or 20 bucks, whatever we're charging. And even on football, we don't fill up everything we have, we have capacity. Mm -hmm. And they can just roll up and, and, and give us 20 or 25 bucks to, to, to park on game day. So using that, that prepay as that, that gateway to a stratified parking and different rates that could go along with that. And then, so that kind of gets us back to the credit cards and using technology in the field on game day. So game day, how big the crowd is and extra people that come just to tailgate the cell network on campus goes out to lunch, yeah. they do a good job inside the stadium. They can offload everybody onto a Wi-Fi network 
inside the stadium, but outside the stadium, the cell phone network just dives. And so we were never taking credit cards in the field. So back before point to pointing Christian, so P2P, EPCI stuff, then running that on Wi-Fi was not something that we're going to be able to get through uh, from a PCI perspective. And so right. running it on cellular, not a problem. And so we could run it for all the other events, but then we had this inconsistency. So you're, but I was here for basketball. We have and overlap in November and you have it here for basketball and you took my credit card, but you're not taking it for football. And so we really were, had a conscious effort around trying not to mix those things. And so we were really waiting for the industry to get in a better mm -hmm. place when it came to handheld credit card security, because we really needed to be able to offload in order to be consistent between football, where we had a problem and every other event we really needed to be able to offload that traffic onto a private Wi-Fi network. And so we built our own private Wi-Fi network, partly in anticipation of the 12th man going digital with their parking, but for us to be able to redeem that prepaid in the field. And we are, it looks like just now going to be at the point where we have a handheld device in the field for this football season to be able to take credit cards for that drive up, still have prepay, but right. But start the really big push away from, from cash. We still, we still have a lot of people who pay with cash uh, and like to pay with cash. Um, and that was our only option that we gave them, but it just took a while for that technology to be able to, uh, from a security perspective and, uh, the latency and all the other things that kind of go along with that for us to be able to, to handle. We take that one step further and our IT, our IT team's great and the university's pushing forward with some things. And so it looks like we're going to have a dedicated 5G network uh, on campus this year. And we'll be able to use that on game days with a private 5G network and yeah, you even have to deploy some of our private Wi-Fi stuff. And so. Uh, we're looking forward to some of those, some of those things and partnering with that stuff. But again, you know, you come back to what we were talking about a second ago and I, I try to keep abreast of what's going on. Somebody might say, well, I'm not spending any money on that. I'm not going to do that. But if you really understand the operation, you understand the impact to what's going on in the field, you understand the technology and you, you able to pull those together. When I was younger, I really did a good job of that. Now I just stay on the edges of it, but that's, that's essentially what we were doing there with that, uh, was to, trying to marry those things up to make the operations better, less complicated, less personnel to set up things, less management oversight on the IT side in, you know, a more seamless experience for, uh, the, the cashier in the field, more seamless experience for the customer, make it better for everybody. Yeah. yeah again, as I'm hearing you talk, you think about the theme of the podcast, Harder Than It Looks. So all of the things that you just touched on didn't have a single thing to do with parking a car, right? Sure. Because the, par, the car still has to go into the space. It's, it, is, it really is mind-numbing. And what I hope is that people will come away, even maybe some non-parking. Mean, we might snag some non-parking people to listen to this podcast. They, they'll come away with a, appreciating really how hard, how hard it is. Yeah, yeah. And I think like I was out to lunch the other day and we ordered, we're, the wife and I were, were in this Mexican restaurant and sit and, and stay at the bar and ordering lunch. And the bartender was just wailing on the point of sale system. It was touchscreen, but it was like 50 keystrokes in order to be able to, to get that lunch going. And so it's, I think like that point of sale system could have a, 
couple pictures on there, something a little bit easier to like, burrito. Yeah. Yeah. It's harder than it looks. Right. Right. All right. I'm going to transition into what I'll call the lightning round, but I want to start with a question. Of course, obviously you've got your bio and the, the theme of the parking, the, the podcast is harder than it looks. I would like to, to know the moment that you realized that parking was harder than it looks. So you, you, know, you get introduced to it and then you walk in and you're like, oh, it's parking. How hard could it be? And then you were smacked in the face. So can you take us back to the moment? Yeah, no, I, I think it was uh, like on day two at Georgia Tech. It was quick. There wasn't, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a big ramp up for that one. And I walked into that place and I'm like, oh my gosh, from customers that were uh, hair on fire with different issues and the handhelds that weren't working and the PSOs that couldn't do what they needed to do because of that. And they're towing vehicles. Where's the information on that thing? And no, it was quick. It, it was darn quick. Yeah. Day two. Day two. That's funny. Okay. So next question. If someone around the campus that, that knows you it's parking utters a phrase there and somebody says, oh, that's Peter Lang. What is the phrase that you are known for? So somebody will repeat you and they'll be like, oh, that came from Peter Lang. Well, I think we do a good job around trying to find solutions. And so we, we, we've done a really good job over the last. 10, 15 years or so, 20 years to embed ourselves in the campus community as a solution provider. And so we get weird stuff. We get really weird stuff. I think currently the weirdest thing on my plate is all right, Texas A&M University is in College Station, Texas. The uh, town got its name and the, from the train station that brought students to the university, which was here in 1876. And so when you came up, uh, you got off at the college station, or, uh, which was adjacent to campus. And 50 years later, when they incorporated the town or six years later, then we ended up with college station. So we have a, a train, a Union Pacific rail line that runs through campus and multiple crossings. We have a couple of great separations, but we have a project now called a quiet zone project in order to, to make the train stop blowing it's whistles at those crossings, just from a quality of life perspective on campus, yeah. we've got classroom buildings and dorms and stadiums all adjacent to it. And, and so when you've got 15 or 20 trains coming through um, a day, it, it is, it's pretty impactful, but we are, I gosh, I think we're almost four years into this quad zone project in order to get, uh, uh, the quad zone established from all the construction, all the railroad agreements, all the agreements with Textod and the cities and the federal rail administration. Yeah. So I think we know how to get stuff done. We know who people are. I get texts all the time. Who do I talk to for someone's one with somebody over in student affairs or dining first? Yeah. So I think it's that, yeah, that connection piece, that engagement piece, and that just general solution kind of stuff. We can figure it out. We've got resources to bring to bear. So you're known as the guy who can figure it out. We can figure it out. Okay. All right. So what's the hardest thing you've ever done in your life? Besides this quad zone project, I think it's yeah. it would just okay. on my, be on my tombstone. Just moving here was something else to pick up a family. Our son was two at the time. My wife had a successful career in the home building business in Atlanta. And so it was a big, it was a big job. We moved away from family and and friends in Atlanta and, and didn't know anybody 
it's all here except rod and and so that was that was hard right that was a kind of a real professional gamble to to do that it worked out but yeah it uh, worked out it, right it was hard and our son graduated from here a couple weeks ago oh congratulations that's fabulous all right so what's the hardest thing about your job in parking today and it's probably it's probably all the non it's all the non-parking stuff right it's I think that daily parking piece is the kind of daily blocking and tackling kind of stuff. We're really yeah. good at it, I think. Yeah. But we, have, <laughs> we have a great team. Debbie Lawler, Madeline Dillard, Ken Kimball, my exec team. And, and, and we just, hey, they, they, all three of them have been here longer than I have. The, our assistant directors have all been here longer than I have. And, and so we, we've just got a, a great crew that has really bought into our philosophy and our strategy. And, and so that part of it is pretty easy. It's the higher ed politics, university politics, local politics. Um, I'm on a, I'm on the a planning board, the connections to the communities and administrative changes. I lost count of how many presidents we've had since I've been here. It's, it's right. 20 years. It's like crazy number 12 or something like that. It, yeah, and, that's hard. And yeah, dealing with administration and turnover and, and things like that. And, uh, the. There's a bit of a re-education process that you have to yeah, prove sure. that you have your act together and, and but yes. things like, hey, we're OCMI accredited or hey, look at this award or on my desk, I guess people come in so they can see and, uh, yeah. and those things in order to be able to do that. But I would say that sort of the political side of it is probably the biggest challenge. Yeah, yeah that sounds, that resonates with me for sure. All right. So if you could wave your magic wand. And fix one thing in parking, you just get one. Just one. What are you going to fix? Yep. And so on the college campus, it's always, why do I pay? Even though everybody's been paying for parking for since we started the department in eighty in the late eighties, and to still answer that question and kind of fight that battle, and we do a great job. We never tell anybody just because yeah. It's always explain it. Do we we're out at faculty senate or the student senate and the staff council and doing all those things explaining why we do and how we do it and what we do. But it would be, you know, that just that little understanding that the parking's not free and the and all those resources that help get you in and get you out every day and maintaining the facilities. So there's a there's an economic number that goes along with that and just to be a Snudge more accepting. It doesn't have to be like a lot accepting. Snudge more accepting of. Snudge. I, I can tell you that is absolutely one of the misconceptions that I had, that you just put up a parking garage and start printing money in the basement. And yeah. I, I now know that's absolutely not true. There's people and there's maintenance and there's lots of expense. Uh, not to mention taxes, right? You're sitting on land. All those interesting things. All right. So when you're not parking cars, what your son just graduated, yep. you've got some free time probably now. What what do you do when in your spare time? And he's actually going to go to grad school here. So he'll be around for a couple more years. So we've. Okay. That's good. Keep him, keep him close for a little bit longer. And nice. then, but we, it is, it's, yeah, it's a little bit of a transition. Uh, he was a, a competitive wake surfer for a number of years, just way up through the competitive wake surfing board. Uh, and so we had a one of those big wake boats and, and went all over the country for competitions and things like that. And he aged out a little bit and, and decided he didn't want to do any more. And so 
sold the boat last year. And that was, that was like a every weekend thing from wow. March to November kind of thing. And so that was, that was a, a big change for us. And I realized how much spent on boat gas. That was a big number. That was a giant number. Yeah. Okay. So that sounds a lot like my baseball experience with my son. If, if you're yeah. doing a traveling team, yeah, yeah then yeah. it's going to be something similar, but we would, we'd go all over the country to be able to do that. Yeah. But I always say, if we choke him when he gets done with grad school, I can't decide if I want to buy a jet, a racehorse, or just like a pet elephant because I have the resources to be able to pull any of those things off. Um, okay. I can help you with a couple of them. <laughs> I mean, if you want to buy a horse, I know the guy. So you want to get into horse racing. Although I hear it sounds a lot like uh, competitive wakeboarding. <laughs> the gas yep. is pretty expensive. Yep. Yep. Okay. Last question for you. You get one, one answer. What are you most proud of? Obviously, uh, on the personal side, very proud of our kid and, and his accomplishments. My wife and I have been married for 26 years. And, and so that's pretty awesome. And, and what we're able to do as a family is awesome. On the professional side, I think it, you know, I said this the other day out loud to somebody that we were talking about politics and university stuff and things like that. And like, you don't last 20 years at an institution and I guess I've been in the department head role for 15, almost 15 years, you, you, like 12 years. You, you don't last that long anymore. You just don't see that kind of tenure in our industry, especially in a university environment, especially when the administration is turning. And so I'm proud that we've been able to, to navigate that and to continue to raise the bar on campus, to raise the bar in the industry, to push the industry, to, to be to be recognized. Our staffs won all kinds of awards on campus. They just do such a great job and to be able to uh, continue to celebrate them and, and see all the things that they've done and accomplished. And then to lift up the organization where, like you said in the intro of the day, you're, uh, you guys are the benchmark and everybody comes and talks to you about how to do stuff. And that, that, that's cool. Yeah, that's, it, it's super cool. You are, you're renowned. You are famous for doing it the right way. And again, I didn't, I, I knew that your leadership at the university level had turned over a couple of times. I didn't know it turned over 12 times. And so when you change leadership, everything changes. And so it's remarkable. Congratulations for surviving 12 administrations. That's a testament to your ability to be a chameleon and then ultimately to, to gain a reputation for just getting things done. Right. Parking isn't the only thing that's hard. There are many things around us. And so I thought what I would do is take this next short segment and just pick up one thing that's hard that you may not have thought about. So I have the privilege and the honor of having of earned a pilot's license. So I thought about just telling you a little bit about the behind the scenes kinds of things that are hard about flying an airplane. Obviously, people can tell that it's hard, but there may be things that you that you don't know. Now, full disclosure, I haven't flown in a long time, so I consider myself to be a very dangerous amateur pilot. But having said that, there are a couple of things that are hard about flying that, again, that you may not know. First, I'll start with the easiest part of flying an airplane, and that is the ability to make it fly. When you get to the end of the runway and you're ready to take off, all you have to do is just throw the throttle all the way full forward. This is me in a small plane, by the way. Other veterans may have a different take with turbos and all that, but you throw the throttle full and you pull it full rich 
And when the airspeed gets to 45 or 50 knots, you pull back on the yoke and the airplane will fly. Now, what I will tell you is that one of the things that will really get your attention is that you do appreciate that as soon as the wheels leave the ground, you and you alone are the only one responsible for getting that plane on the ground. And so I won't call it terrifying, but it certainly gets your attention and it definitely underscores that you have to do it a lot to be really good at it, which is part of the challenge of, of flying an airplane. But I will say that the first hard thing about flying is that you have to get it back on the ground. And so there are several kind of factors that come into it. So first, speed is an important factor. So when you're setting up to land, you've got to be descending at a specific speed or a range of speed because if you're going too fast and you start your flare at the end where you're pulling the nose up and landing on the two rear wheels, you will fly again. That's called you balloon. And if you're going too slow, and before you get to the end of the runway, if you don't have enough air coming over the wings, you'll actually drop like a stone, and that's called a stall. And so airspeed is really important. So you've got to pay attention to airspeed. You've got to pay attention to staying on the center line, which is the second part, the hardest part about a landing, is that the airplane will move with the wind or with the air mass, and the wind is not always coming straight down the runway. So airplanes land going into the wind generally, especially small airplanes, because you want wind coming over the wings all the time. But if you've got a wind that's coming from a cross section, the plane is going to move with the wind. And so your job is to stay on the center line. And so sometimes you may actually have to fly the plane sideways to stay on a straight line towards the runway, at which point once you get to the ground, you have to kick your rudders you got to kick the rudder out to make the plane straight before the two wheels land. That can be tricky. The second thing that's really hard about flying an airplane is you have to be a meteorologist because the number one reason that amateur pilots get into real trouble is that they fly into weather conditions that they are not trained to fly in. Now, your commercial pilots, they are fully rated. They've got a team of experts behind the scenes that are helping them navigate the weather that's no trouble. But when you're an amateur pilot, you have to pay attention to weather and you have to make sure that you don't get yourself into a, a situation where you're flying in the clouds, you're flying blind, and uh, you could kill yourself. And it happens. And then the, the third hard thing about flying is that there are just so many rules about flying. There is one, one great example is they've designed this system of planes flying at certain altitudes that keeps planes running in opposite directions from actually hitting each other. And so if you are flying east, so if you're flying from New York or from LA to New York, I guarantee you that plane is flying at an odd altitude. So listen, next time that you're coming from LA or you're going to from Indianapolis to New York, they will tell you that they're going to fly at 37,000, 39,000, 41,000, 43,000 feet. And then when you come back from New York to Indianapolis, you're going west, which means you're going to be on even altitudes. You'll be at 32,000, 28,000, 30,000, 40,000. And that way, you've got two airplanes that are flying 1,000 feet apart, in theory, if they ever got that close, and they wouldn't run into each other. That's just one of the rules. Now, by the way, as a pilot, you have 100 feet above and below to navigate. But if you go outside of 100 feet, so if you go higher than 100 feet above 29,000, you, you will have done something called busting your altitude, and the FAA will be waiting for you on the ground to have a discussion where they'll either suspend you or take your license away because they take 
the, your altitude, the assigned altitude, very seriously. And then one of the other rules that's really interesting is you can – there is restricted airspace around certain events or venues or, or capitals or cities. And so, like, the White House has restricted airspace around it probably all the way to infinity where a small plane without permission cannot fly – closer than probably five miles or 10 miles around the White House without, and and if you did, if you got into that restricted airspace, you would, especially around the Capitol or around White House, you would be met by F-16s who would be happy to make contact with you and escort you to the ground or shoot you down to the ground, right? But Lucas Oil Stadium during a football in Indianapolis Motor Speedway during a race, they have restricted airspace. And so as a private pilot, you have to know where you can and can't fly. And it's up to you to know that because if you bust those restrictions, then you're going to lose your license. So those are just a couple of the things that make flying maybe a little bit harder than you would have imagined. And I had the great privilege of flying airplanes for a long time, but I realized that you have to do it a lot in order to be safe And so I've chosen to go commercial. Thanks. Another common challenge right now for many business leaders, specifically in parking, is finding and retaining good talent, especially frontline staff. So with me today is Linda Black, one of our star-studded Indianapolis-based call center managers. And she's with me today to discuss how she handles some of these hurdles. Linda, welcome to Harder Than It Looks. Thank you. Thank you. Before we wrap up this entire episode, I thought we could take a minute or two and just pick your brain about some of the ways, the tips and tricks that you use to find good people and then motivate them. I have three questions. Okay. And let's just run through them and give us your thoughts. The first question is, what have you found to be the most effective way or ways of finding frontline staff? Right now, we are really tuning in on the issues that are currently presented to us in the call center. One of the biggest issues that we're currently dealing with is attendance. From beginning to end, we stress attendance in our phone interviews when we're talking to candidates. We have motivators in line for the attendance program, but we are just constantly trying to make sure that we're making them aware of the attendance issues. Anything else we're able to address. We can help with their learning. We can help with them getting up to speed on how to handle the calls by providing that feedback, that constant feedback for them. But right now, it's just making sure that we're being very clear and upfront, transparent on the phone interviews when we're talking to candidates, and just making sure that they understand if they have an attendance issue, this probably is not the job for them because we have to have people in the seat to be able to take care of our customers. That's great. So, okay. So I, I happen to know a couple of the other tips and tricks and you can nod your head or you, you can expound upon them. So the first one is, a, is feels a little bit tough at first, but I, I have seen instances where you and your other managers have actually asked candidates not even to show up if they try and reschedule an interview. Right. Is that true? That is correct. Yeah. yeah, that that is, I'm sure what you've seen is you probably pushed through, you probably allowed early on, you probably allowed them to change it. And then they became a, uh, a an absentee problem or a right. call off problem because they showed us their true colors from the very from the get go. Is that Absolutely. fair? Absolutely. And Brian, we also do a better job of tracking our candidates. Now. 
anyone that we complete a phone interview with over the telephone, we have their information saved because they always reapply. So we'll know if we had a good phone interview. We'll know if they were a no-call, no-show for the in-person interview. And it allows us to be honest in that moment as well. You had an interview scheduled January 5th of 2023, and we didn't hear from you. Why are you reapplying? So we don't entertain them, but sometimes real life happens. And depending on the response and how they handle that question, we may bring them in if they were a strong phone interview, but it, it really just depends on their response. The majority of them just, once you call them on that, they don't respond. Yeah. A shortcut, right? They're, they're showing us their true colors. Yes. That's great. Okay. How about question number two? How do you and your fellow managers, your teammates, keep our CSRs engaged, motivated, and excited to come to work every day? We definitely supply the tools needed to be successful. We have ongoing training with them. We have one-on-ones where we sit with them and make sure that we're going over any issues or concerns that may, they may have. We definitely try to make fun out of work. We're here a lot of hours out of the day. We have engaged them with food and bribed them with cookies and desserts and things just to keep them engaged. It's not a perfect environment. However, they enjoy being here. They really yeah. do. We c supply constant feedback. So they're aware of opportunities for improvement as well as being rewarded and acknowledged when they're doing well on their calls. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. So this concept of feedback, right? Whether it's good or bad, most people, once they've stuck, they want to do a good job. So being able to help them figure out how to do a better job right. and then catching them do it right and do it well, because again, everybody wants to be, everybody wants to be recognized. So yes. that's good. Okay. Third question. So if you could encourage another parking manager regarding staffing, labor challenges, what would you share with them? How would you prop them up if you were? Two big things that I try to live by is being available. I've always been in positions where I've had management that was available to me. And I think that is huge. They don't want to come looking for help and you're too busy to help. So it's very important that they see you diving in and that they see you taking calls with them when the queue is excessive. So being available and letting them see that nothing that I ask you to do, I would not do myself. Those are the yeah. two that I live. That's good. So that actually bleeds into number two a little bit, right? So this idea that you are shoulder to shoulder with these folks and that you are making sure that they see that you aren't afraid to help do the work as well. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you. And I appreciate all that you do for us here at Parker Technology and, and your dedication to making sure our frontline teammates are as effective as they can be. Thanks Thank very much. Thank you for much. the opportunity. I appreciate it. Okay. That's a wrap on this episode of Harder Than It Looks, Parking Uncovered, presented by Parker Technology. Please leave us a review if you liked what you heard. Make sure you tune in next month as we continue to uncover tips, tricks, and best practices to manage what we all know is harder than it looks, parking a car. Bye for now.